When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. You know, there's there's a lot. I mean, a, a lot a lot of places mean a lot to me. I've been a lot of places. So, um, you know, uh, Minnesota was another stop. You know, I enjoyed my time there. It was short. Um, you know, I'm enjoying my time here. This is uh, this is where where we are, and I'm I'm excited to be a Redskin, and I'm excited to go in there and uh, uh, go win a football game. Case, come on, Case, come on, Case, Case, Case. What are you doing, Case? Why are you saying that, Case? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Come on now. Case. We got we to gotta talk like that, Case? Really? Just another stop? Just another? Do you want the other one? Just the one that's gaining a little bit more traction? Oh, sure, yeah. Here's this one. I mean, there's there's really no need to get more amped up for any game in this league. Oh, no. Um, no, same game. Especially no. when you're playing a team like this with a, with a great defense. Man, we, we've got to give it everything we've got no matter what. Um, you know, the fact that it's my old team... Um, I've played long enough to where I feel like I'm, you know, if I keep going like I'm going, I might play against my old team every week. Okay, so that's hilarious. Um, you know, <laughs> you it's, totally it's redeemed yourself, Case. Uh, so I can't, you know, it's it's just a normal normal game. No, me. it isn't. No, it's not. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. Stop it. Like, Case, come on. Just man. cut it off Come there. on, bro. Let's take a look right here. I got his football reference up. Let's take a look. Case Keenum, before he played with the Minnesota Vikings, he started... 24 games and he went 9 and 15. Not so good. No. Journeyman type of numbers. After Minnesota, he's played for two more squads mm-hmm. and he's gone 7 and 15 with the Minnesota Vikings. And he deserves another win on Pro Football Reference for this because of what happened in week five in Chicago yeah. in 2017. But he went 12 and 3 as a starter and won a playoff game on a miracle play that will never be forgotten in football history. Sorry, Case, it's just not another team. Now, I'm sure that as a quarterback, and you know, Kirk Cousins did the same thing at the podium, trying not to stir any sort of controversy, trying mm-hmm. not to play into whatever the narrative is going to be, then yeah, you want to downplay, downplay, downplay. I mean, same with Kirk. Kirk was, hey, I love that franchise. Gratitude. They were the best. They yeah. just drafted me and gave me McVeigh and got me all this money. So, and like, called me Kirk. 
He d- yeah, and repeatedly called you Kurt and tweeted out once when they offered you a contract. They tweeted out the offer, so they didn't exactly play super nice with you and kind of made you look like a jerk in public for years. Mm-hmm. But sure, it's all good. It's all cool. Um, it got you $84 million to be drafted by them and have RG3's knee fall apart and you get a chance and all that sort of stuff. But it is funny with Case. Oh, it's just another team. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Let's see. With Houston, his first... First year, he went 0-8 as a starter. <laughs> Showed some flashes, I guess. Uh, with the, the Rams, with the Rams, he was benched for Jared Goff in the uh, Jeff Fisher experience after going the forward bad version of Jared Goff. Last year, they gave him an abomination of an offense, which I thought he mm-hmm. could have actually been better if they had any good receivers outside of Emmanuel Sanders, which they just traded today to San Francisco, by the way, if you missed that. And so Denver was a... A mess, and it was actually shocking that uh, John Elway would employ a quarterback short of five foot, or, or, or I mean six foot five. Um, but they did, and then they didn't give him much of a shot there to succeed. And then he goes to this team. Of course, they draft a quarterback right away who can't read defenses apparently, and they throw Keenum in. They fire the coach. It's just like this guy has to go where every disaster is. He's the poor man's Ryan Fitzpatrick at this moment of his career, but he's got this one shining season with the Minnesota Vikings. And to not even acknowledge how different that was is sort of lame. But Case would do that at the podium. Like, whatever you think is the story, oh, I don't know, guys, I... Really? I never thought of that. You know, that was with him all the time. Um, so I'm not surprised the way he handled it, but it is kind of goofy. Um, so Courtney Cronin's going to be in on Thursday so we can have a full lead in pregame style with Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin and have awesome lead up to the game. And then I can jump on the train and go right to the game and it'll be a fun day for everybody. Um, so she's not here today. And we'll get you an update very shortly on whether Adam Thielen is practicing. Of course, Thielen just it goes under the eye roll theatrics of this whole thing that we do sometimes, where it's uh yeah, I feel great, man. Adam Thielen at the podium today. I don't know. How's your hamstring? Mine's totally fine. So we're gonna see what happens. <laughs> um, but I think it wouldn't be in the best interest to have uh Adam Thielen playing. There's also um an injury to Adrian Peterson, but it looks like he's just gonna play anyway um, for Peterson coming here. So, you know, we, we got that going on and that storyline, and they'll be getting out in the practice field very shortly. Then we'll have updates on whether Adam Thielen is practicing or not. That will make the big difference on whether he has any chance to play. So before we get to all that, and Steven Ruiz from uh, For the Win, which is with USA Today, he's going to come on at 220. We're going to talk about Washington, where they're at. Uh, he's a D.C. guy. And a couple other things around the league, including, including a really interesting tweet of his, Uh, about Lamar Jackson. So that's coming up in a few minutes. But Jonathan put together a couple of questions that are, I've called them in the tease, like pressing or something. Yeah. But I kind of, here's the the trick, though. They're not really. They're kind of like the ancillary questions that came to my mind that are not so much in the, what's going to happen with this team? What's going to happen on Thursday? But sort of just floating out there. General storyline questions. Right, that I want to discuss, and then we can move on and get into some very serious um, run blocking schemes with Alex Boone <laughs> at three o'clock. So let's, uh, if you got some NFL music there, let's ramp it up. It's always ready. You give me your questions and I will answer them, Jonathan. All right. So Kirk Cousins, three past three games, he's been pretty good in the offensive revitalization for the Vikings. He now has the seventh best odds to win the MVP. How realistic is that possibility? 
Seventh best kind of sounds right. And when I look at the uh, schedule that the Vikings have and the defenses that they're playing coming up, it isn't exactly a murderer's row starting with this Thursday. Would anyone be surprised if I told you Cousins went 22 for 28 with three touchdowns and 320 yards on Thursday? Like, that's what I would predict at this moment, that he would have another huge day. And since the Vikings don't play like really deadly defenses until the very end of the year, again with Green Bay and Chicago. But I'm not even sure Chicago's going to be trying at that point because they could fall apart completely. It's definitely got that feeling. I mean, is there a single defense other than Green Bay that you say, wow, watch out, maybe at Dallas, I think would be the reasonable one to talk about. Just because that's Sunday night. Sunday night, and they got a lot of talent. Uh, Denver is sort of a sneaky good defense, but they're not a good team. (laughs) I mean, he could do it again to Detroit. Seahawks don't have the same defense they used to have. Not as good. I mean, if if he put up 2016 numbers, but they won a lot of games. If they went 11 and 5, they went 12 and 4. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't put up better numbers, Mm -hmm. which is very possible that he will. um, Then yeah, I think I think Cousins is is in that mix. I, I don't think he's going to win it necessarily, but there will be this air of redemption story for Cousins. Yeah, even though it doesn't really exist, but we love to do that stuff. 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year. What is there to redeem? And he's been this quarterback before, as I wrote yeah. uh, for scorenorth.com, uh, about, you know, like this is who Kirk Cousins is. And he is often um, a, a product of his circumstances. Mm-hmm. And right now, his circumstances are great. But in terms of the people who decide who's the MVP, if he continues to roll along like this, even some semblance of this, there will be the like, Cousins proved everyone wrong. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. and and that will help his case. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think seventh best odds is is pretty reasonable. All right, second question. We mentioned at the top of the segment, Adrian Peterson, Case Keenum, Vikings will be playing them this week. I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. Would the Vikings win more games with Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook, or Case Keenum and Adrian Peterson, mm. if all were in their prime? That's a that's a hard one because Adrian Peterson is prime and and his shortcomings have been documented mm-hmm. occasionally here in the sports market. I don't know what you talk about. Probably as much as Joel Maurer's contract, I think. <laughs> but in his prime means 2100 yards. Yeah. It means 6 yards a carry. It means the most unstoppable running back aside from what? Walter Payton or Gale Sayers. I mean, there the his prime is so good that even while Delvin Cook is having a great year, Adrian is one of the all-timers. But could you really win with Keenum? I think that we've seen now when he's gone other places that he isn't able to overcome anything and he yeah. isn't able to help his teams rise to any sort of challenge. And it was a fluky year for him to go 12-3 and as a starter for the Minnesota Vikings. And it kind of depends on who Keenum's offensive coordinator is, isn't it? Doesn't it? I think that goes for both, but one of them is... If one of them has some tougher circumstances, they go seven and nine or eight and eight. The other one can go one yeah. and fifteen, right? <laughs> True. So <laughs> or zero oh and eight. I'm I'm going to go with Delvin and Kirk Cousins are a better combination than Case Keenum and Adrian Peterson would be. Even though I still like some of Case Keenum's uh, mentality and his character and his leadership and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't necessarily get intimidated in big games because he won some of them at Atlanta that year against the Rams here that year. 
But I also think that when Mike Zimmer said he has the horseshoe around his neck, that was very true. And I, I don't think that the 2017 version of Case Keenum is Case Keenum. I, I do think that this version of Cousins is, is Kirk Cousins. So I'm going to go with Cousins and Cook. And then the, the passing game part of it. Delvin hasn't been a huge part of the passing game, but we yeah. know he can be. Yeah, that seems like one of those situations where you give up a little bit in your running back department to get a little bit more in your quarterback department. Six yards a carry for 2,097 yards, though. That is monstrous. When everybody knows you're running because Christian Ponder is your quarterback yes. that year. He actually caught 40 passes that year. And averaged, here's the hilarious Adrian Peterson stat, averaged fewer yards per catch than he did per carry, which I don't know I've ever seen before. <laughs> 5.4 yards per catch, 6 yards per carry. This is worse That's when you throw weird. him the ball. That never happens. <laughs> Uh, is this? We'll keep this third question simple. Is this a trap game? Um, so I've never been a believer in trap games. Mm-hmm. I think that what happens is there are five games a week or three games a week where one team should just demolish the other team. Say Buffalo last year <laughs> with the Vikings. Yeah, the the Vikings should have run over Buffalo, but. A few things went wrong early, and then Buffalo did have a good defense last year, and it's the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. we were talking with Sage Rosenfels yesterday. Like, you can never say of an NFL team that there's no chance for a team to win. Even the Dolphins gave Buffalo a run last week. Well, you also saw it last week, 49ers against this very Washington team. Right. Scored only nine points. Right. I mean, Th- kept them off happen. the board, but still. Right, exactly. So, you know, last week it's raining, and that helps Washington because San Francisco couldn't really throw the ball or run their same offense. Stuff happens, and every once in a while there's upsets. And then we go back and go, ha, trap game. They were looking forward to a better team. But most of the time, those turn out how you thought they were going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's ever a time where NFL players go into a game and say, who cares? Like, we're not taking this team seriously or, or something like that. So, I don't know. I think trap games might exist in college, possibly, but in the NFL, I don't think so. So, we meant, we talked about it at the top of the segment. Case Keenum had his best year as a professional with the Vikings. Would he be justified in being bitter towards the Vikings for not giving him a contract and not keeping him here after that year? Can I give you some quick Vikings news? This is going to be yeah. sad. Oh, it's going to be sad. Can you Can you just... You can bring it back up in a second. Mm-hmm. Bring it down because we gotta we gotta eulogize a player here for the Vikings. Okay, they have released Marcus Sherrill's. So, what? Well, they've decided that Mike Hughes is now their punt returner oh, okay. because and that was a thing that they wanted from him from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marcus Sherrill's just a great story. Minnesota guy should have no chance at having any NFL career whatsoever. Great NFL career, averaged more punt yards per return than Deion Sanders. That's unbelievable. He is a, one of the best punt returners, maybe, I think probably ever. I mean, he didn't have quite the touchdowns of someone like Dante Hall or Devin Hester, but really, really good at his job and was able to fill in playing cornerback when they asked him to. A, a quiet guy, one of the nice people that you'll meet. So, sorry, Marcus Sherrills. It looks like the NFL career is over. But uh, it was a good one. It was a it, it was. One that's unexpected, and a, a guy found a niche for himself and made it work. And so good for him. Uh, all right, now bring it back up, and I'll answer your question. Sorry, Marcus Sherrills. What was the question? <laughs> uh, would Case Keenum be bitter toward... Oh, should he be bitter, Would he be yeah. justified being bitter? Yeah, it's uh, pretty hard to tell with his comments there, right? Um, <laughs> you know, this is a good question for not only Case Keenum, but also Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was the franchise guy. He was looked at by 
his head coach as a son, basically. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, you know, the odds of your knee not working out. So see ya. And then Bridgewater's 5-0. and And he should, I think, look back at Minnesota and say, well, guess you should have kept me, huh? And then maybe you'd have me as your franchise quarterback now, and I would be making less money, and you'd have more cap space or something, and right. better leadership. Um, but with Case, I think he has a case for being a little bitter because when Why? you go tw- because because when you, when you go twelve and three as a starter, no athlete is going to be like, guys, I'm going to regress. Okay, <laughs> all right. No Wait athlete's for that it. honest. Wait for it. <laughs> Here comes the interception. No one's ever going to think that. I, if you're objectively looking at it, you totally understand where the Vikings were coming from. They knew this was a pop-up season. They saw him every day in practice. And as Kyle Sloter so beautifully taught us, practice uh, gives a huge sample size for these guys who evaluate that we don't get to see. And it helps them be better at predicting which guys will be successful in the future. And Keenum has not proven them wrong. So I think... I would understand if he was bitter and said, you guys should have re-signed me. But he hasn't exactly rubbed it in their face like Teddy has. Last, last <laughs> question enough. here. Last question. Uh, with the Thursday night game coming up, it's national television. It's also Kirk Cousins' old team. Will the quarterback of the Vikings be freaked out by that combination of old team and national television? I'm going to go with a little, but it won't matter. Okay. That we might see some things where he fumbles or he throws it over somebody and you go, uh-oh, it's a little bit of bad Kirk here, but it just won't matter. I mean, remember the Jets game last year yeah. where it was bad Kirk? It just didn't mean anything. Because the I team, didn't. the other team's so bad. It right. just Darnold threw it. like three picks and got sacked a bunch and it just didn't matter. So I think that that's what we've got coming up here on Thursday. All right, we're going to talk with uh, Stephen Ruiz, USA Today's For the Win. He is their NFL writer and had an interesting tweet about Lamar Jackson. So we're going to discuss with him when we come back, along with uh, continuing to preview this Thursday night game here on Purple Daily. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. I mean, there's there's really no need to get more amped up for any game in this league. Um, Especially when you're playing a team like this with a with a great defense, man, we we have got to give it everything we've got, no matter what. Um, you know, the fact that it's my old team, um, I've played long enough to where I feel like I'm, you know, if I keep going like I'm going, I might play against my old team every week. So, um, you know, it's it's adding up now. Uh, so I can't, you know, it's it's just a normal normal game for me. I feel like a bomb could go off outside of U.S. Bank Stadium, and you could ask Case Keenum, and he'd be like, well, just a normal game. Just uh, nothing to see here. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's, uh, I heard some noise, but, you know, that's about it. I'm just focused on 
playing my football game. All right, Matthew Collar back here, uh, Purple Daily here on Score North, and joining us now, he is the lead NFL writer for For the Win, the uh, USA Today football coverage. Steven Ruiz, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. What is going on, Steven? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, uh, you know, I've just been making fun of Case Keenum. Why is Case Keenum still playing, Steven? Do you have any theories? I, I don't. I thought it was... Jay Gruden, who just loves these, these like mediocre veteran quarterbacks, yeah. he's gone now, and, and Keenum's still out there. Colt McCoy, he loves Colt McCoy. Last year, Diana Rossini, who's with ESPN, tweeted that Jay Gruden wanted Colt McCoy to play over Kirk Cousins a lot of times in Washington. Was like, wait, is this the same Colt McCoy? Was there a different one? I mean, what is the guy's obsession? Well, it doesn't matter now, I guess. But what, why was he obsessed with these types of quarterbacks who he obviously could not get the most out of? And with this season, they were never going to win to begin with. So why bother playing Keenum when he's probably a guy who's totally fine at this point in his career with just being a backup and helping Dwayne Haskins? I think you just, these coaches, some of them, and I put Sean McVay in this, I, I think some of them just like these these quarterbacks that will do anything they say. I think that's why uh, McVay loves golf so much. He's just like a brainless quarterback that he can control. It's like he has a PlayStation controller on the sideline. I think McVay's just playing Madden out there. I think Gruden had a similar affection for Colt McCoy. Oh, I totally agree with the McVay thing. And there was a video, I'm sure you saw it on Twitter, that went around where Goff walks up to the line of scrimmage and there is the blankest face uh, that he's making that I've ever seen. Like, just... Oh, what's in my brain? Oh, it's McVay. He told me that this is the defense. Okay. And then he like snaps back into it. And it's like, okay, everybody, here's what you do. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, but you know, I think there is a shelf life on that, isn't there? I mean, even with as great as golf has been over the last two years, it kind of shows up at times. They probably should have lost the NFC championship game. If not for a call, they lose in the Super Bowl. And this is the worry a little bit for me, Stephen, about Kirk Cousins because he's that way too. He's, I'll do exactly what's asked of me and do not ask me to be dynamic or anything more. And then if something does go wrong, Cousins will say, well, I went through the read that was supposed to happen on the play. Like, okay, but you're not allowed to do anything more. But it is amazing how there is this number of quarterbacks who are exactly like that. Right. I think everything around Kirk Cousins dictates how he's going to play in a given game. I mean, sometimes he gets hot and makes like a bunch of great throws like he's been doing over the last three weeks. But like he's the last person in control of his stat line at the end of the game, in my opinion. Steven, I think you're exactly right, and he's always had the talent to throw the football, and I was going through, and I, I wrote a column about this, his past in Washington, where he had streaks just like this. The end of the 2015 season for Kirk Cousins is bananas. Over the last six games, he had 125 quarterback rating. Like, anybody who's saying, oh, Cousins has got the confidence now, or something like that, like, this is not that unusual for him, Steven, and, and I feel like the questions, the biggest questions that always get answered uh, about Cousins might not be answered for quite a while looking at the Vikings schedule. Right. I don't even know if they're ever going to be answered in his career. We're just going to, he's just going to retire and we're going to still be like, is Kirk Cousins good? <laughs> know that yet? I, I, I really believe that. And like over these last couple of weeks, I think it's been a combination of things that have led to his resurgence, if you even want to call it that. One, he has been making the throws. He deserves credit for that. That throw to Thielen was amazing, the, that first touchdown against the Lions, but he has been playing the Nets pass rushes, the Nets secondaries, if you're counting the Eagles, and he's held. He's just had time in the pocket. That's the big difference these last 
three games, and I, I do think the play-action game has been more effective. But, like, last week against Lions, he held the ball for 3.38 seconds on average. That was the third highest of any quarterback this season, and he didn't get sacked once. So should we really be surprised that he had a great game through four touchdowns? And then I love that the play directly after that Thielen touchdown was the play where he tried to throw to B.C. Johnson and just panicked because he had a guy in his face and just, just threw it up without even looking. I just tweeted that play out today. It was just hilarious. I mean, that's kind of what he does a lot of times when he gets pressured. And there have been games that I've seen him getting hit after he throws and things like that where he's made big-time throws. But there's something about Cousins that makes him super fascinating in the way that he gets rattled. And it's like early in the game, you could tell, oh, is this going to be one of those where he's just shook from the outset like Chicago and he's not going to recover? And in his case, uh, you know, I, I think that that happens far too often to believe still, even despite the recent success, that he could take this team deep into the playoffs. And I think that's why he gets so much criticism, mm-hmm. because he, he's getting paid now like a guy that should be able to handle that stress and that pressure, but he's not doing it. When he was making like mid-range quarterback money in Washington, then yes, like you should be happy that you have a quarterback that is capable of making these throws when given the time. But now... Minnesota's paying him to be someone that's going to elevate their offense. And, I mean, after two years, it's just not going to happen. Talking with uh, Stephen Ruiz, lead NFL writer at uh, For the Win. So you don't think that this sustains, and of course I don't mean number one in the NFL in quarterback rating. We were joking around a little bit about the MVP odds now for Cousins. Um, And it is amazing in the NFL how you could change from just a few weeks ago. People are emailing me about the next year's draft and who they can pick. Um, You know, So that, that changes quite a bit. But what type of sustainability, knowing that they have these weapons, knowing they have a system that fits for him is there because I look at it, uh, Stephen, as the NFC has one too many teams to all make the playoffs and you don't want to be the odd man out. And that very well could be the Vikings because it's going to be hard to get over top of the Packers, especially since they already lost there in Green Bay. Right. I don't think there's anything in Cousins' past that suggests that this is going to be sustained for the rest of the season. I think we're just going to, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that he's a streaky quarterback and a lot of his production is dependent on who he's playing and how the team is playing around him. So if he can get good protection going forward, I don't know if that's going to continue, but if he can, he is capable of doing this. He is capable of being a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. I don't think he's going to perform at a a level where we are talking about him in the MVP discussion by late November. Um, Steven, I have to give you credit. One of the reasons I, I asked you to come on is because we have a thing that we call Turbo Snark. And that's where you can just, it's like you are free from all um, repercussions of whatever snark you use. So if it turns out to be wrong, like who cares? You were turbo snarking. And you had a great turbo snark tweet about Lamar Jackson. So I, I want to play our turbo snark intro and then we could talk about it. Right. Now, you said something to the effect of it's hilarious that the best quarterback from that draft was talked about as a wide receiver, and that I turbo snarked about this as well. But uh, do we think, is it too soon to decide that Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback out of that draft after he just keeps winning? Of course it's too early. It's been a year and a half. But it was mostly a joke, but he has been the best quarterback so far this year, and I'd rather be the best quarterback in year two than the best quarterback in year one. And the main pushback I got was from... 
Baker Mayfield or Baker Mayfield is actually the best quarterback. And I just don't see any evidence that suggests that he is better than Lamar Jackson at this point in their careers. Well, I agree with you. And, you know, there is a thing, too, in my mind, Stephen, that we get so thrown off sometimes by box score stats and things like that and our perceptions of someone when they come out of the draft. So if we perceive that a guy can't throw the football, then we're going to look for more evidence to kind of confirm that he can't throw the football and and be slow to change our minds. But through 14 starts, the guy has gone 11-3. and And I know that people sort of push back against win-loss record, but when you repeatedly have skills that seem to correlate to winning football games, what he does on the ground, the ability to hit big-time passes down the field, averaging almost eight yards per attempt this year, even though he doesn't have a super high completion percentage, I think that this version of Lamar Jackson can win a lot of games in the NFL. Maybe in the playoffs it gets stopped, but... I think there's a really great case to say that he has proven a ton of people wrong even by doing what he's done so far. Right. If you just look at his passing stats this year, he's been a league average passer. And I think anyone, before the draft, if you told them Lamar Jackson would be a league average passer by year two, and by the way, he's going to be able to run like he does in college. He's going to be able to do that at the NFL level. Everyone would be like, that's the number one pick. Take him. I mean, Vic went number one because we thought he would be able to do this at the NFL level but he was never the thrower that Lamar Jackson is already in year two. He had the one big year in, in Philadelphia, but that was like 10 years into his career, and he had Andy Reid right. designing plays. But I I don't even have a problem with uh, assigning this win-loss record to, to Lamar Jackson, giving him all the credit, because he's been the best player on the Ravens. Their defense hasn't been what it was like five years ago, five, ten years ago. It's, it hasn't been a great defense. It's been a bad defense this year up until last week. And the running game, I would put all on him. He's leading the NFL in the uh, EPA per run. He is passing the ball well. I, I mean, I think he should absolutely be in the MVP conversation. I think he, does, he deserves all the credit in the world for his 11-4 record and as the Ravens starter. Yeah, and when I look at his yards per carry and you take out the kneel downs and things like that, and he's averaging over seven yards per rush, it's like this is an efficient play for him to rush. This isn't just like, well, yeah, he's going to take off every once in a while and he'll surprise you on a third down. It's designing a run for Lamar Jackson is actually a really good play for an offensive coordinator to call. I think that's just a rare skill, and maybe aside from Michael Vick, we've never seen anything like this. But but here's here's what I like about Lamar Jackson so much, and why I believed in him coming out of the draft. Because I looked at Baker Mayfield's personality, and I was like, uh, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. To be that cocky in the NFL, you better be really good. And he hasn't been. What Lamar, though, is... Such a humble guy, seems to relate to people really, really well on that team. And I, and I feel like that element of it for quarterbacks will never not be important, if that makes sense. And the other guys, some of them struggled with that. Right. I do think his personality has helped him. I, I think the Ravens have rallied around him. I think he's convinced the coaching staff, too, that he is a guy worth building around. That's very important. If he didn't, And I got in an argument about this on Twitter today when I after sending out that tweet. If he didn't have, if he doesn't have the full confidence of the Ravens staff and they didn't build his offense around him, maybe he does struggle. But although I think the Ravens don't deserve a lot of credit for thinking, oh, maybe we should run Lamar Jackson. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> but yeah, the Baker stuff, I mean, the personality is, is probably a negative in the long run, but I, I think his pocket presence is more of an issue this yeah. season, just mm-hmm. not being able to hang in the pocket and find open receivers, which is something Lamar Jackson has been able to do. People will say, oh, Lamar's not a pocket passer. He's a hell of a lot 
better pocket passer than Baker Mayfield has been this season. I also think if you say that, then you didn't watch him at Louisville because a lot of what he did there was standing in the pocket, going through progressions, and making throws. And he couldn't make throws outside the numbers very well, but inside the numbers he was really accurate. And he had a pretty bad supporting cast there that had a lot of drop passes. He was he was one that, honestly, around the draft, I was kind of like obsessing over and watching every game. And I would just be thinking, why, why is this guy dropping? And to not give the Ravens too much credit, they drafted Hayden Hurst before Lamar Jackson. So they, they don't deserve, uh, I guess, to be held up as, as the genius franchise, just like Seattle and Russell Wilson. Like, well, you guys did pass on him uh, twice, but... But what do you think the ceiling is? I mean, is this the ceiling? Is it, can he win a Super Bowl? Will he be shut down the playoffs like Vic was at times? I mean, I, I think that we're looking at something that we've never really seen before, and Super Bowl is within the possibility for him. Right. I don't think we could just write him off just because we've never seen a running quarterback win a Super Bowl. We have seen them get close. If Colin Kaepernick completes a pass to Michael Crabtree at the end of that Super Bowl against the Ravens, then we're not even having this discussion right now. If, Cam Newton wins that that game against the Broncos, which they probably should have won. They were probably the better team that we're not having this discussion right now. So I don't. I, I mean, I ignore that storyline, that narrative. I, I don't buy into it. Rushing yards are yards are yards. Like it doesn't matter how Lamar's getting them. If he's averaging over seventy yards a rush, that's just as good as good as a pass. So I, I mean, I, I don't really get that. I don't think you have to win from the pocket or whatever they say to win in the playoffs. Russell Wilson wasn't a a great pocket passer by the time he won his first Super Bowl. He still had some limitations. He was I mean he was good, but he wasn't what he is now. Okay. So I'm not worried about that. I think he'll I think if he has the right team around him, he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. We've seen we've seen that this year. Yeah, I think so. And and Tom Brady eliminates a lot of people from the Super Bowl conversation just by being Tom Brady and always being in the Super Bowl. So it's a lot of like, you know, Alex Smith, somebody like him never quite got there and and you can argue whether he's great or good or whatever but it's like well every year it seemed to he seemed to run into some really great quarterback in the playoffs and that happens to everybody in the AFC so maybe that will happen to Lamar Jackson here and then we'll say oh he can't win the playoffs because Brady beat him or something um but last thing for you Stephen I know you're a guy that looks at a lot of the X's and O's and things like that and it's one of the things that makes you great on Twitter because I always um learn a lot from just the things you tweet out what's the What's the thing this year? Like, what's the trend in the NFL um, offense or defense, I guess, that has stuck out to you? Because, you know, we had the RPOs and everybody was talking about those, and then they didn't really take over the league. And then there was a lot of talk about motions and things like that. But now, um, you know, Matt Nagy trying all that stuff doesn't work anymore, it seems, so far this year. And his quarterback is terrible. Um, but uh, what, what is it for you this year that's stuck out that's sort of creative or innovative? I'm uh, going to defensive side and say these sim pressures or creepers, whatever you want to call them, where you're basically feigning a blitz and then dropping guys, dropping the regular amount of guys in the coverage. Maybe mm-hmm. you're bringing a linebacker and dropping a defensive end, but still rushing four. We saw that last night with the Patriots and the Jets where Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts. He's seeing ghosts because the Patriots were sending these sim pressures, and they had a lot of success with them in the playoffs last year. But I think the usage around the league has ramped up this year. And I actually wrote about this in the offseason. I'm patting myself on the back now. Uh, it was a big thing in college last year. It was probably like the big thing around coaching circles in college and high school level. But now we're seeing it at the NFL. I know the Titans are using them a lot. They use them a lot against the Browns in week one. And I think Baker Mayfield's two of his three interceptions came on those concepts, against those concepts. The Bills are using them a lot. The Ravens use them a lot. 
and the Patriots, of course, use them a lot. And it's a great way to like coach around not having a great edge rusher, which are very expensive, and you have to trade a lot of draft picks to get one, like like uh, the Chiefs had to do to get Frank Clark. Yep. But if you don't have one, you can do these rim pressures and just get pressure, and you're still rushing four, and you still have seven back in coverage. So I think it's a great concept. I think you're just going to see the usage just ramp up as the season goes on, too. Well, you just described Mike Zimmer on third downs for the entire time I've been covering the Vikings. I mean, it, it, I guess I, I'm always surprised when I don't see teams do it because Mike Zimmer's defenses have been using Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks more this year to do this for a long time, and it's had great success. So that's interesting that other teams are doing it. I can tell you who's not is the Lions, Eagles, and Giants. I noticed that they weren't confusing anybody on the uh, on the Viking side, Stephen. Yeah, the Lions are just like, we're going to rush three and just have these guys hold their gaps and not actually go after the passer and just put so much stress on our, our defensive backs. Like, their defensive backs are really good, but they have to chase receivers around in man coverage for four seconds at a time. Yep. That's why Kirk Cousins had so much success against them. Yeah, for sure. I don't even know what's going on with the Giants. (laughs) No one does. Yeah, no one does. Poor Pat Shermer. Uh, Steven, awesome stuff. You can follow Steven Ruiz at the Steven Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. He is the lead NFL writer for uh, for The Win. Always appreciate your time, man. Great to catch up with you. Yep, anytime. Um, One of the best follows on Twitter, so I suggest it. And his Steven is E-V-E-N. Not like Steven Ridley, which would be S-T-E-V-A-N, or... Any other version. So, okay. Let's, uh, let's say, I was looking at Jonathan for something there, and he seemed to be busy. I was like, you got anything on that, Jonathan? Sorry, I was talking with Bone. What'd you say? That's all right. It really legitimately does not matter. Uh, so let's take a break. <laughs> we'll get... Uh, uh, Al- is Alex going to be ready to go for the next segment? I think so. Is he good? We'll okay, he's always ready for football. And usually if he has to wait there for a few minutes, he gets uh, he gets un- uncomfortable and anxious. He wants the football. So we'll uh, have Alex Boone on for the rest of the show when we return and continue to preview what's going to go on on Thursday and get his reaction to the Vikings offense being as good as it is and can it be sustained? So let's uh, talk more about that when we return. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank. Minnesota Golf Show will use this download to remind you of a podcast we have on our podcast network. It's been 10 years since we all went on a ride with Brett Favre, and we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Vikings season. You can join Stage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind, the 2009 Vikings edition, on demand right now, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or you can just go to scorenorth.com, click on shows, and that's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Something you're very aware of, you also need to prepare. You know, you need to work, you need to be here, and uh, when you're home, you need to be thinking about it and studying and using the long day on Thursday to make sure you've gone over everything. Uh, there's certainly no excuse, you know, coming away from the game Thursday night to say, well, it was a short week, and that's why I, I wasn't on the details. Um, but there's also an awareness that it's a, it's a short amount of time, and let's not overload ourselves. So it's a balance. All right, that's Kirk Cousins out at CCO Performance Center today. Matthew Collar and Alex Boone joining me now on the show. Um, Alex, got a question for you right off the top here. 
are trap games for real. Is that a real thing? It's a real thing, dude. They uh, exist. Okay, explain. I mean, it's one of those games where you're it's like, this is the perfect week for a trap game here because it's like, all right, guys, listen. Technically, we're going into like two bye weeks here, so if we just get through this one game, we're good. And it just it has the makings to be really bad. So it, um, I don't think they're going to fall for that trap, though. Obviously, the run game is just proving to be absolutely amazing. But I got to say, Matt, I was just looking at this next gen stat, and you'd be so proud of me because I was actually wow, just talking. I'm to, I know. Proud. I know. I was talking to John about it. Tom Brady, 18 for 18, five touchdowns when he throws the ball under one second. Isn't that a next-gen stat you need to know? I Well, I mean, it does, kind tell, of important. It, it does tell you something about Tom Brady and how I mean, quick he gets rid of the ball. And Kirk Cousins is like the exact opposite. I know. And isn't this the formula for winning? Isn't this team showing everybody, listen, it doesn't have to be all this razzle-dazzle, super sexy stuff. Like, it could just be efficient and work. And, you mean New England? Yes. I mean, they're doing things that are just uncanny right now, which is crazy to me. But, dude, this last game against Detroit, I was super excited. I thought Kirk played extremely well. I thought that there was they stuck to their game plan, and it just worked in their wheelhouse. And how, did you notice that the tosses are going up in the playbook? Like, they're tossing the ball a lot to Delvin now. Have you noticed that? The third down especially, third down and short. I mean, oh, you yeah. pitch him out, he gets one-on-one with the linebacker. The linebacker is just well, ne- never winning point. that. Yeah, no, that's a different play. That pitch where you flip it, the fullback belly pitch, that's mm-hmm. the flip out to the back. I'm talking like more in general, their offensive playbook. Yeah. They're starting to toss the board, the, toss the ball more to Dalvin because they're saying, hey, Dalvin, listen, you pick the lane that you want to go through. This kid's vision is incredible right now. Yeah. Awesome to watch. I mean, you could see that even from his first training camp where he just had uh, an ability to pick out holes and burst through them better than any running back I've ever covered that I've ever yeah. actually been on the field for and watched. And I guess you you would have been in training camp with him, right? When he was yeah. doing when he was sort of shining over Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon. I mean, it is really something to watch from the sideline because it seemed like he would hit the right hole every single time. He's incredible. And not only that, but when he, once he gets through that hole, his burst of energy and speed and the way he just becomes like this force to be reckoned with. I mean, it takes more than one guy to bring him down consistently. That is fun to watch. And that, like you said, that third down and two where he made those two guys run into each other, but like the way he burst and can split through people and cut back and that's what makes him so dangerous. And what they're saying is like, Hey, listen, we're not going to hand the ball to you. Cause when you hand the ball off, you're basically telling him like, you have to run here, right? Like, the quarterback has impeded your ability to cut back any faster than you want to. So you have to go take the ball, and then you can come back. With those pitches, listen, dude, it's on you. You find the hole. Your, your vision's incredible right now, and the offensive line, they're doing a good enough job that he's just like, hey, listen, just give me a little bit of a lane and I'm good. It seems to me like the offensive line just has to be passable and not even great for him. Like somebody can miss a block and he'll just make that guy miss or he'll shred that tackle. It it, it takes a very good fundamental tackle around his waist to bring him down. I mean, there there aren't too many guys. I mean, Adrian Peterson in his prime, of course, is is one of him. For uh, sure. And and we'll talk with him. But like, we'll talk about him in, in a little bit. But um, he's one of the few guys that I can remember where it just seems like people bounce off. And usually those running backs are like fatter, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Sean Alexander was heftier than Dude. someone like, uh, uh Cook, right. Yeah. And 
people would just roll off of him. And every time there's leg tackles and things like that, um, they cannot seem to bring him down. It, it has been an incredible year for him. And that's why, with the way that this offense is working, I think Kirk Cousins explained it extremely, extremely well about how Delvin Cook setting them up in second and five or less has opened up the playbook entirely for Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski to call anything they want on second and three, second and four. Yeah, I mean, when you're going into plays that are like, like you said, second and five or less, or third and three and less, I mean, that means that first down and second down were effective. Something went right, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like everything's on the dial pad, dude, because the defense doesn't even know what you're doing. When it's second and 20 or first and 13, you know, when you have to like overcome the penalties or the negative plays or whatever it is, then it's like, okay, now we're only limited to a certain amount of plays. We can't just, you know, call power on second and 17 because it looks great. Like, we have to kind of get ourselves back into a third and manage. So he's right. Not only is he helping in the sense that the scheme is working to their favor with him, that now the play action is so incredible. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but there was four minute. They were doing four minute in the game, right? It was like two minutes and 56 seconds left. If you look at the defense on the field from the Lions, it's their goal line defense. They're in like a 6-2. Yep. And the the uh, the Vikings were in like a 12-13 personnel. They're like, dude, we're, this is just a... This is just a first down for us. Like, what are you doing? But you can't stop this run game that you have to go to goal line. So then all of a sudden, Stefanski's like, what a bunch of idiots. All right, let's just do a play action for 60 yards. Watch this. Like, you're going to put every, you're going to put 10 guys in the box. I'm going to let Diggs just run down the field as much as he wants at that point. Cause I don't have Thielen to do it. So now I'm going to let Diggs do it. So, I mean, to their credit, teams are like overwhelmingly trying to like overcompensate for this run game. Like, yeah, any time that it's four minutes and a team's about to run the ball and they're in the top five in the league in rushing, you better put an extra linebacker in there. But to go goal line, that's so just makes no sense to me and, and dumb and like, what are you doing? Like, you, you're that scared of the run game and it's just, it's crazy to me. So we got to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you. Now that we've seen the schedule, the wins that the Vikings have gotten, I'm going to give you a stat because now you love stats and you can't deny it anymore. <laughs> no, I just saw that you one stat. Don't say that. You are a stat guy now. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so, I, but I've got a stat for you, and I want you to tell me how much it means for the Vikings going forward. So let's do that. Alex Boone, Matthew Collar here. Uh, another hour with me and Alex coming up next here on Purple Daily. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to talk to him a little bit today about some of those things. Just, you know, he, he needs to just focus on his job, focus on uh, getting the guys in the right place and doing what he's supposed to do. And there's always some emotions when you're playing a team that you win against. I'm sure Adrian and Case are doing the same thing, right? But, um, you know, it's more important that we focus on what we have to do and his job and what he has to do than worry about all the other things that go along with it. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there, Matthew Collar, former Minnesota Viking Alex Boone, and now stat enthusiast and oh, do full-on media guy. I mean, if you're talking about power rankings, I'm sorry, you are now a media member. Alex. It's just, it's just so funny to me that they have power rankings every week. Like These go up and down so much. It's insane to me. Yeah, I think that's one of the great parts of the league is that every week we reassess what we know, and it's usually wrong in a lot of ways. And yeah. we've definitely seen that because a couple weeks ago, after the Chicago Bears, for example, beat the Vikings, I would have said, 
man, that Bears team, they're probably going to win the division or compete right along with Green Bay. And now it looks like, and, and I said this the other day on Twitter, like it's a two-team race between the Vikings and Packers, and now they're going to have a players-only meeting. Well, congratulations. Can you change quarterbacks in that meeting? No, I mean, they're, they're, they're going downhill. Anytime you see players-only meeting, that's a bad sign. Just for anybody that needs to know, when you see players-only, it's – Listen, we're going to say some things. We can't let the, these guys hear what we're saying. Okay, It's important that we keep this to ourselves. Like, dude, when you've already alienated the coaches the rest of the season, that's a wrap, dude. But Right. I mean, not only that, when you're talking about Detroit, it felt terrible. Could you not watch one team's whole season go down the train in one game? And that was this last game. I mean, not only did the injuries, but what that game, the effect it has on them for the rest of the year going forward, they're out. So you're right. It's a two-team race to the for the North. And the Packers are going really, really hot right now. And I know you really think this guy is washed. And I really do know you think he's washed. This dude's making guys who we've never even heard of look like all-stars. Okay, let me, let me clarify washed. Let me just clarify. Since it did start out as mostly a joke, um, but then he looked washed at times early in the season. And now, of course, after playing Oakland, which <clears throat> it's Oakland. Um, oh, still, it's still, a game. It I is. Mean, come on. I know. These it, games are adding up. And like, but like no, you're right, right now, when you turn around and you look at some of these teams, you're like, wow, man, some of these games, like some of these teams have records I didn't expect them to have. So here's yeah. the, the wash thing is just that he, in a lot of different metrics, was not the same as he was in his prime. So when you talk about Aaron Rodgers as Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, well, Brady and Breeze continued to play at that same level where Rodgers right. over the last three years has fallen back. But the thing that was so hard to determine was... How much of Mike McCarthy's fault was that? How much of the roster's fault was that? The system, the scheme, all that stuff, and the weapons around him, which he still doesn't have great weapons, and it may have been a large percentage. It also could be, and this goes for Kirk Cousins too and leads into the stat I wanted to give you, it could be a lot to do with who you play. I mean, Oakland is absolutely awful, and we saw them be absolutely awful here on defense. And here's the the rankings for the teams that the Vikings have played and beaten so far this year in expected points added on defense against the pass. All right? 32nd, 30th, 26th, 24th, 22nd. So the best defense they've beaten is 22nd in the NFL. I mean, I think that that kind of tells you a lot about um, sort of this season and the hot streak for Cousins, having a lot of time to throw against bad defenses, and also a little bit about the NFL, where the haves and have-nots seem about as far apart as I've ever seen them before, Alex. No, I agree, and I think that it's it's kind of weird that you're – I mean, like, you're going into week eight and you're still like, man, there's a lot of teams we don't know about. I mean, look at San Francisco. I mm-hmm. mean, they're 6-0, and and they're, yeah, you have to give them a lot of credit and where credit's due. This team's rushing the ball for, like, 200 yards a game, which is incredible to me. But it's still like they haven't really played anybody worth notching yet. Like, when you've played the Patriots and you can at least score a touchdown, then we'll start talking about how good you are. Like, you look at the Jets game from last night. I mean... Seriously, we're, that that's not even a team. Like I thought that team would be way better this year, and they're terrible. I mean, they couldn't even put anything on the board against the Patriots. They couldn't even move the ball against the Patriots. And I thought that team was actually going to be a playoff caliber because they have good pieces around them, right? Like Ryan Khalil comes out of retirement, dude. What is Ryan Khalil coming out of retirement for? Like there must be something really juicy over there that they were like, Ryan, look what we have, look what we can do. And he was like, you know what? I have everything I've absolutely needed in my entire career, but I'm going to come back and play with a team I know nobody on. Like to me. I agree with you. I think that when you're looking at these defenses, there's some teams that we thought were going to be really good, and now we're like seven weeks in. We're like, maybe those teams weren't going to be that good. Like, I'm, I mean, what's the real true test around here? It's clearly not the Patriots because they're just smoking everybody. They're making <laughs> right. everybody look like they don't even know how to play football. Yeah. And, so, so, so it's but, like, who's a good benchmark? 
And I thought Detroit would be a better one, but then yes. I watched the way they played, and it was just as unimpressive as all the other teams. And I think that a lot of that has to do with Matt Stafford. And we went last week, and we talked, and even Carson talked about what a great quarterback he was, and, and we agreed with them. He's the youngest player to get to 40,000 yards. Clearly, he's a great quarterback, but he underthrew some of those balls that they needed to complete. There was one in the end zone that could have been a touchdown. I mean, there's... The fourth and two that Kendricks breaks up, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you, you, if you're going to be a team leader and the team's going to ride on your shoulders, you got to put out more of an effort than that, especially in your own stadium. Like, I thought that they would just be more hyped because they were at home and they had kind of just come off some rough weeks and it was yep. like, you know what? They're going to put their stake in their land now and they're going to, dude, they came out flatter than anything. I mean, yeah, they went score for score, but dude, they kind of looked flat to me. Yeah, no, Stafford made some plays, as he does, and Marvin Jones is a great wide receiver. But on the defensive side, I thought, well, Matt Patricia, he's supposed to be a Belichick guy, but it might just be true that people, other people who are not named Bill Belichick cannot carry over the things that he's able to do with his defenses. And part of it was, I thought, Alex, when Darius Slay goes down, you just have to change your game plan on the fly because you can't yeah. have one guy trying to lock down the other team's top wide receiver if it's not Darius Slay. Like, Justin Coleman's good, but he's not as good as right. Slay is. And he certainly isn't as good as some of the corners that Belichick has done this with in the past, like Darrell Revis, Aqib Tlaib, currently Stephon Gilmore. Like, Slay isn't even of that caliber. No, so if he's no. trying to do the same things, it's like, yeah, but you've got to have the personnel. And if you're not going to create any pressure, like they have the third worst sack rate in the NFL. And if you're going to give Kirk Cousins time to throw, <laughs> I mean, he's going to throw all over you. Right. You better drop 12, dude. I mean, if you're going to give a quarterback <laughs> like that all day to throw... And that's what we've said on before. Listen, when this dude has all day, he can make some amazing throws. So you're either going to have to really pressure him or you're going to have to drop everybody back. And you're going to be like, listen, we're going to double digs, we're going to double Thielen, and we're going to make Irv Smith or B.C. Johnson beat us. Like That's how we're going to have to roll this game. And they didn't do either of those things. Like They literally said, we're just going to rush three and you, we're still going to kind of play somewhat of a man coverage. Like, dude. You have no rush. Nothing's going on, and you're letting everybody wide open. I mean, Sean Coleman couldn't even cover B.C. Johnson in the end zone. And I, and to their credit, and to even X's credit a little bit, and I think that maybe Spielman might have been a little tough on him, these refs are getting a little ticky-tacky, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of hand fighting that's been happening for a long time, and now all of a sudden in one year we're just supposed to stop? Like, that's what those guys do. They hand fight all the way down the field. It's when are they getting armbarred? When is a guy restricting them? When are they being pulled to the ground? Stuff like that. This hand fighting and this pushing nonsense, that has to like, you gotta let that go. Wow. Like that, it's making the game not fun anymore. Yeah, I, and we overlooked that because it was such an impressive win for the Vikings, an incredible performance by Cousins. But the referees, again, had a bad day Terrible. in Detroit. And it's like almost every game that you watch now that you're walking away going, wow, was that eight plays in a row that had a flag? And that definitely happened. It's holding, it's pass interference. These things that I think people want to be called a little more liberally to just keep the game moving. Like if yeah. you call them all the time, you're going to slow game down and that's what we've seen a lot and we definitely did there but uh i, I so i, I want to ask you then so you go back and you watch this game and you look at what they do uh, against the lions and you could criticize a lot that detroit was doing on defense and just like the giants or just like philly but you also have to give credit to great plays that are made by cousins a great design a great scheme great play calling it kind of reminded me of 2017 with um, the shot at the end, just going for the dagger and, and making that work and just good play calling. 
But as as they go after this Thursday to play some better teams, Casey is not going to be a joke just because Mahomes isn't playing. Andy Reid is still there. Dallas is going to be a good test. Seattle is going to be a good test. How much of what they've done in these last three weeks can transfer over? Like, what percentage? It's not going to be 100%. He's not going to have three of the greatest games in NFL history again. But how much can carry over when you play a good team like Dallas? A lot. A lot can carry over based on your momentum. And a lot of it has to do with how guys feel in the locker room. You know, I mean, football is such a silly game because it's a belief system. I mean, you could literally score on any single play. A power could go 100 yards if everybody just does their job. That's the game plan. Like, hey, listen, if you guys, if you 11 guys all just do your job, this play will go 100 yards for sure because everybody's blocked. But what happens? You don't account for the defense slanting or blitzing or rushing the other way or dropping a defense into different coverage or things like that. So that's why it's so tricky to say, like, what could carry over? They could carry all this over because it's all predicated on the run game, and it's all predicated on Dalvin to me. It has nothing to do with the O-line. It has nothing to do with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Kirk's been having some phenomenal games. There's no question. Ever since that Bears game, this dude's on fire. What is mm-hmm. it, 10 touchdowns, one interception? Total credit where credit's due. But Dalvin deserves most of the credit because everybody's so afraid that they're like, dude, listen, I will live knowing that Kirk Cousins threw the ball for 400 yards. I can't live knowing that Dalvin Cook ran for 200 yards. So what you put in an entire defense to stop the run game, and he still rushes for 150 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. How bad is your defense? And you're a defensive coordinator. You should be fired. And you come from one of the best defensive coaches in the history of the NFL. Like, dude, stop it. And You're it's, being silly. Yeah, it's not exactly like Matt Patricia has been a shining example of leadership yeah. either. So it's agreed. It, it's not like his personality is so great where they're like, oh, definitely got to keep him. Um, right. and, and I think that's the problem there, though, is that most of the guys are because when you're a player, when you go play for Bill, you're like, this is Bill Belichick. I have no words to say in right. front of you. Yeah. You speak to me. I don't speak back. Right. You're Matt Patricia. Dude, you were equals. I don't care if you were an assistant coach for a Super Bowl winning team. Now you're the head coach on a non-winning Super Bowl team. Right. Show me something. Right. We're equals here. I do the work. You draw it up. That's how this game plan rolls. But when guys are like, hey, listen, man, we're getting burned everywhere. Like our offense, yeah. I mean, Daryl Bevel's resurrecting his career with Matthew Stafford. He's just like, hey, listen, I don't even need a run game. Matt's just going to do everything for me. But the defense is the problem. And you're a defensive-minded guy. Like This is the problem I'm having with Matt Patricia right now. And it's amazing how fast these things change, which is kind of where you started joking about the power rankings is two or three weeks ago, I would have said, you know, the Lions have had a pretty good start to the season and look at the talent that they've got. They've improved. They've added some players. They added Trey Flowers and Justin Coleman in the offseason and Jones being healthy is a huge deal for them. Their O-line is is not is not bad, I don't think. I mean, everyone gets burned by Everson Griffin and yeah. uh, Daniel Hunter. They held up well. They've got, they've got some players there. They should be a competitive team. They should be better, and I feel like uh, Daryl Bevel might be coaching them by the end of the year. It's it's really crazy how quickly the Bears and Lions seasons have just imploded. Not to me. Neither of these are shocks. Obviously, no one's. I, I, you know me. I'm not big on the Chicago Bears. I've never really been because they don't have a quarterback. And yeah. not only that, but now you don't even have a running back. You don't even have a run game going anymore, dude. You got Akeem Hicks on IR, so half your defense is done. Like you can only do so much. And yeah, this is an injury plagued league, and it's going to happen. The problem is when you have injuries, you have to fill those gaps quickly because when you don't, you expose yourself to other teams, and they're going to say, "Hey, listen, this is how this team beat them. We can either follow that same exact game plan, or we can do some of that and some of ours." 
bars. You know, like you've just added more fuel to your own fire. And you're like, how do we put this out? We, and that's why they say, like, as an offensive lineman, the stunt game. If you can't pick up twists, you will put. You'll send smoke signals to the entire league. Like, hey, just twist us. And that's one of the things. Like, if you look at the Vikings. They only run TEs. They need to change it up. You gotta start running some ETs, some TTs. Dude, you gotta start shocking the world a little bit. Okay, you're gonna have to explain that now. I can't wait till Thursday. Oh, dude. TTs, uh, when the, when the defensive tackle, the guy lined up over the guard, he's gonna rush straight ahead, right? And as he's watching that tackle, He's going to say, hey, listen, if this tackle flips his hips before my defensive end gets around the corner, I'm going to go straight into that tackle, and I'm going to mm. knock him off his course. And then the defensive end's going to loop around. So now, basically, if the guard doesn't have a great snap-off, the D-tackle to the to his own tackle, dude, it's you're over. But then all of a sudden you say, hey, listen, what if the defensive end comes in and picks the guard and the defensive tackle comes around? Those ones are scary because that's how you shorten the corner really fast. And there you have it. You guys catch that, football. Jonathan Declan? Um, football. football. That was so, that was extreme football. So let me ask you this: a uh, little a little less football, but still football. What is your assessment of the offensive line and how they've played? Is it scheme that's helping them? Is it opponent that's helping them? Or have they just started to perform better? We were talking earlier, and I, I did say that I thought Garrett Bradbury played a lot better this week. I thought he was more involved in the blocks. I thought he got lower in the blocks. I think he's being more physical, which is great. I think at times. I think the scheme helps these guys out a lot. Like when a lot of it's just the three step, and not only that, but the play action. I mean, dude, we talked about it. When you're playing a goal line defense on the forty yard line in a four minute, <laughs> and your coach is like, "Hey, listen, guys, don't worry. Just hold your block for two seconds, and the ball's just gonna get lofted up in the right. air." Right. Like you've made our lives so much easier, and that's why I'm saying going forward, you can take all of this momentum and just keep piling it on because the next team, you're you're too far in the season. You're eight weeks in. No team's gonna watch this film and go, "Hey guys, the run game's not that big of a deal." No, no, no. It's official. You officially have a great run game. So now everyone's gonna go, "How do we stop it?" We're throwing in these extra linebackers, and not only that, but Irv Smith's starting to come on a little bit. I don't know if anyone else is noticing that, yep, but they're starting absolutely. to make they're making him more part of the game plan. So now you're going, okay, listen. How many guys we got to cover? You got uh, Irv Smith. You got Rudy in the middle. He scores a touchdown. You got Diggs. You got Dalvin Cook. Not only running the ball, but screen game and out of the backfield. I mean, this this team has the momentum right now, and it's it's propelling this offensive line because basically what everyone's going to do is go, hey, listen. Stop the run first. Whatever, at all costs, just stop the run, and then we'll worry about the pass game later. Right? I mean, every team's going to be built differently, but most of the teams are going to say, hey, listen, we just can't let these guys run down our face. Now, the problem is, after running the power four times and having your face just ran through by Dalvin, <laughs> the next time you see him coming downhill, you're going to go, I better get in there quick. So you run downhill to smack him up. It's a play action, and there's Irv Smith right behind you, but you don't see him because you don't want to get smacked in the face again. And that's why all of this can be taken forward and say, hey, listen, whatever you do, just keep running the ball. Keep tossing the ball to Dalvin. Let him find his lanes. It seems like that's what he wants to do. Don't tell me where to run. I'll show you where I'm going to run. Yeah, and it's uh, really been amazing to see the terror that is on other teams' faces. I mean, it can't really be overstated when he gets the ball. And it even seems like guys who normally would make the tackle are kind of like, I, I need to do something different here to bring this man down, right? I mean, it- did, you, did you see the two missed tackles in the game? The first one was like in the first quarter. Two guys, I mean, they just fall on top of each other. It's like he, 
he just like looks at him and laughs. And and another thing that makes him so special, and this is like one of these things that you're watching this guy, you're like, God, this guy is incredible. When he hits the corner, he can outrun anybody yes. to a corner. His burst yeah. is so incredible. But not only that, but if he hits you coming around that corner, you're gonna feel it the next day, and you're probably gonna feel it on Tuesday too, because my God, those cornerbacks at some point because that seemed to be the game plan. Hey, we're gonna blitz the corners, we're not gonna let him just run all over the place. We're gonna try, you know, as soon as the corner saw it was a run. They're running downhill to make the play because everyone's trying to stop it. Well, eventually, later in the game, everyone's like, you know what? I'm going to let you get that tackle, big dog. No, you're the linebacker. You get it. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I, I thought the receiver, it's play action. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it was a run play. I had no idea. Like, you could tell guys were like, no, I'm going to let you step your in there. You, you, you fall in front of them. And this is the thing about the running back conversation is a lot of it is, you know, running backs are replaceable and so forth. But there are a few human beings on this earth that you can't replace. And Agreed. with Delvin Cook, this skill set is only like some of the guys that you know we were referencing earlier. The the special running backs who are around a lot longer, who aren't that you know the guy has a flash in the pan year or two, and that's about it. I mean, we have seen running backs stick around for a lot longer and have a lot longer success when they are special talents, and I think that that's exactly what Delvin Cook is. And I I can't remember recently aside from someone like Adrian Peterson impacting the game quite like this. I mean, maybe Le'Veon Bell would be another one, but he wasn't, like you mentioned, he wasn't He wasn't intimidating. It's like, yeah. Cook, Cook is intimidating. And I remember Terrence Newman telling me that Cook ran into him early in training camp when he was drafted, and he said, man, you are heavy behind your pads. Like, yeah, like I, that you hurt when you ran into me, which is, which is uh, unusual for someone with his speed. He's, that's that's so funny that Terrence said that. I mean, I think when you're thinking, there's probably three running backs in this league right now that I think are incredible, and Dalvin is easily in that list. And I think you're talking about him, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. Yep. And, and you look at those other two guys, they're propelling their team with backup quarterbacks. Now, I know that Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to win Comeback Player of the Year because what he's doing is phenomenal. But you look at those two running backs along with Dalvin, and those guys are they're game changers. I mean, just the way and then, you know, Saquon, the way that those guys can run so hard. And, you know, for guys like Christian and Alvin and Dalvin, they don't look that big. Like everyone knows how big Saquon is. His legs are huge. Yeah. But the other three guys, they just look like normal guys. And what like cause I remember meeting Dalvin and I was like, This guy's a tough runner, huh? All right. Well, if you say so. But I mean, if you watch him run into a middle linebacker, it looks for like the rest of the game, that middle linebacker is like, I want no part of that ever mm-hmm. again. Yeah, he very rarely falls backward too. I don't know. I don't have a stat surprisingly on how many negative runs he has this year. <laughs> but but I mean, I can only remember a, a couple where he was caught in the backfield, and usually he finds a way out of that and then yeah. pushes himself forward. So every minus three is three, and that's one of the differences between him and a guy that we're going to talk about next, Adrian Peterson. Peterson and Keenum return now. When Kirk Cousins struggled earlier this year, you talked a little bit about your admiration for Case Keenum. So let's discuss Keenum and Peterson coming back, and a, a little bit of some of the what ifs with those guys and this Minnesota Vikings franchise. Uh, Alex Boone, former Viking, myself, Matthew Collar, here. Anytime you've missed part of Purple Daily, you can go to iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us the five star rating. Download it every single day. There's so much football that could be in your brain if you are not downloading it. You're missing. So uh, we'll be right back. You'll listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Good. Run hard. Runs physical, you know, like he always has. Good speed to bounce the perimeter. Good foot. Good uh, good jump cut. And uh, he does a nice job of, uh, you know, trying to make uh, the one guy tackling. 
That was uh, Mike Zimmer talking about Adrian Peterson and the fact that he is still playing football. And it seems like even though he has an ankle injury, he will be ready to go on Thursday night. And uh, you better be. Bill Callahan said that they have uh, liked their offense running with him more often, which <laughs> congratulations, I guess. I mean, great plan. Uh, not that there's a good plan when Keenum is your quarterback and you don't have Trent Williams playing and what Eric Flowers is in and he's awful and you know it's, it's a bad situation. That whole situation is bizarre. Okay, let's be honest. Trent Williams is one of the best left tackles in the league. Like somebody that just doesn't come walking off the street and you just still can't settle this problem. And not only that, but you won't trade him. Right. Like, I just, what is dude, up with that? that? That's bad business. At the end of the day, someone's going to be like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, you're going to get something for him right now, and you have until October 29th to do something. And I think they eventually will because nobody sits on anybody for that long uh. for no reason. I mean, I get the discord. Like, not only that, but have you realized what's going on in New York with Colecio Semele? Yes, sim- similar type of thing about them trying dude. to get him to play and then finding yeah. him, right? It's incredible. They're finding him every day because he's like, I'm refusing to play because I'm hurt and I want to have this surgery. And they're like, no, we're refusing to let you have this surgery. Like, dude, what is going on right now? And they find him because he, he refused to play in the game last night. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and uh, it is it is baffling to me. Not that I blame anyone for not wanting to play for the Jets or Washington. I mean, <laughs> I, I, for one, am shocked that the Jets and Washington are the two franchises uh, that are having this issue. Uh, but when it comes to Williams, if he's saying he doesn't trust his team to handle his injuries correctly, well, then you have to trade him, basically. Yeah. It's a horrible look for them, but they couldn't look much worse anyway. And uh, But I, not trading him is even dumber. It's yeah. like it's just not even good business where you're a tanking team. You're going to get a high pick. Someone would probably – they just gave up two picks for Jalen Ramsey. Someone will give you a first-round pick for Trent Williams, and that's a pretty darn good deal for a guy who's in his 30s. I don't understand that at all. Um, but I, Cleveland. I, I Cleveland mean, why, just offered right? a Cleveland totally they, makes sense for him. Yeah, I don't yeah, get that. It's well, that and, you part know, for the course, I it think, is. for that and, team. The problem is that Callahan, he's just going to run the ball 60 times coming here. Like He's just going <laughs> to be like, great. you know what, Casey, if you think that that ball is coming out of your hands, you're crazy. Which I don't think is fair. I think Casey's a great quarterback. I think he's great when he throws a ball from 0 to 10 yards. So just do all that. Like That's what I'm talking about. There's so many OCs that are so lazy. And they refuse to say, okay, what do we have on our team? What yeah. are we good at? Well, number one, we have Casey Keenum. Well, back in 2017, I'm pretty sure this guy took his team all the way to the NFC Championship. So what did they do that they made them so good? Yeah, they have some great players around them. And yeah, we might be a little handcuffed. But that's your own damn fault, okay? Because you had every offseason to go out and get all these pieces around him. And you didn't think that Alex Smith was really going to come back, did you? Because we all know the truth now that like he had 17 surgeries and it's like incredibly bad on his leg. And I feel terrible because he's a great friend of mine but you talk about this and you're like dude this team had every chance to go out there and like be a good team you still have adrian peterson stop running duo like that play is a dead play it's just you got to stop doing it (laughs) be creative with him hey listen we got a soon-to-be hall of famer in our backfield what are we going to do with him i don't know get creative guys have some fun yeah and early on keenum played a couple of uh, pretty decent games. I mean, early in the season, threw for 380 yards. Now, of course, it's against Philly, and we know how they are. Still. Uh, but 380 yards, three touchdowns in that game, and a shootout that they just came up short, and he's had some other decent games uh, when they beat Miami. Again, not a great team, but he was 
He was decent in that game. It's not like he's been a total disaster this year. He has a 94.5 quarterback rating. And, you know, I feel like they could have been more competitive with him. But you're right. It amazes me. And and maybe Kevin Stefanski deserves credit for something that should be obvious of taking what works with a player's skill set and just doing that over and over again. It seems like there are not enough offensive coordinators or on the defensive side either who seem to have that general philosophy. They're lazy. They just sit back there and go, well, if you guys don't score on this power, it's your own fault. You're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, dude, they, you got to call in the right situation. Like, we got to know what's going on. But you're talking about guys like everybody wants to throw all the blame on Casey and, oh, poor Casey and all this. And, and listen, a lot of it has to do with the system he was in. You didn't give him anybody around him. You didn't give him, give him an old line. I mean, you didn't put anybody in front of him. You gave Eric Flowers, who everybody has deemed as one of the worst offensive linemen ever to play in the NFL. You put that as his left tackle, and you were like, hey, this will suffice. And not only that, <laughs> but then we're going to go out and get the oldest left tackle in the league, and Donald Penn, who just came off like three injury-riddled seasons, and we're going to make him your real left tackle. Like, dude, now you're just being like facetious. This is a joke. <laughs> Poor Casey standing back there like, so What? Right. Seriously, what am I supposed to do with all this? I have nothing to do. So he's a great player. So humble. Great guy. Get him in the rooms and he's like, listen, whatever's good for the team is good for me. And I was like, this guy's incredible. First time I've really ever heard a quarterback say something like that. That's awesome. Yeah, and his leadership I I think was so strongly appreciated by the team that I'm sure there were some guys um outside of even just uh the fans who liked Casey uh now I'm calling him Casey too. His name is Casey, by the way. Like if if anybody thinks that you've got it wrong because you called Casey, I don't care like, if I do have it wrong. Name. I played with him. I called him true. Casey. That's true. His name I mean, is actually Casey. Yeah, um, well, people get mad at me because I call him Casey. No, no, just me. Oh, um, <laughs> I just wanted to point out just if anyone thought that you were saying his name wrong, like oh, man. he's Casey anyway. So uh, not that guy. Aside from that, but I would imagine that there were some players in the locker room who went, "Wait a minute, why are we getting rid of the guy who just went thirteen and three with us?" Right. I sure. mean. There, yeah. there had to be that feeling because he was so well-liked. Right. I mean, well, the truth is, a lot of it is an emotional state, right? You're looking at this team and you go, hey, listen, guys, we have a really great defense and we have these offensive pieces, but we're just looking for this one piece. Like, they wanted the one guy that they could trust to throw the ball down the field. Now, why they saw Kirk Cousins as that guy in a seven-step drop, I don't know. What they found was that Kirk is more of a play action because of Dalvin Cook, and this is just like a seemingly perfect match made in heaven. Yeah, yep. But with Casey, you would have had that too. Casey was great on the move. Casey could throw the ball downfield. He was just a little more, and I and I say this, and I think people think I mean this in a really malicious way, but he was more like Alex Smith to me. And when I say that, I say smart quarterback. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, I know the probability of me making this throw down the field is not good, so I'm not going to throw that ball. I'm going to throw the check down, which is fine. I get it. Like he's, He'd come up to us like, hey, guys, listen, I'm sorry. I really wanted to. I really wanted to throw that ball. I just couldn't. And it's like, hey, man, listen, it's cool. We're gonna we're gonna march down the field. We're gonna do what we got to do. But the team looked at it and they said, "No, no, no, no. We can't have that. We need these plays. We need these explosive plays." And they went to I I seriously and maybe everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I do think that Zimmer should have went to Pat Shermer and said, "Listen, I need you to stay with me. Mm-hmm. I get that I can let you out of your contract. We can let you do whatever you're gonna do." Or or maybe he was going into a contract year. I don't think that was the case. I think it was like Mike was like, "Yeah, you can you know interview whatever." But if I was Mike, I'd have been like, "Look, Pat." Look what we have. Like, we have something so awesome here. I'm not like, look at Josh McDaniels. He went back. He could have been the head coach. He was like, no, dude, 
I'm going to go ride this ship as long as I can, and then I'm going to take over that ship. Like I just think that Pat left too early. Casey got kicked out the door too soon. Had that team come back, maybe you get some awesome new pieces to play with. Dude, that would have been the team to reckon with. Yeah, And it would have been a different situation with the amount of cap space they would have been able to spend. I, I have an, an interesting stat for you here, 2017, about Keenum's performance that year, and where there are some similarities with Cousins. Even though Cousins is no doubt better at throwing the ball down the field. Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL throwing deep. 2017, Case Keenum was seventh best in the NFL when using play action. Kirk Cousins was third, and Cousins is often toward the top. But there are some similarities there. If you want Case Keenum to succeed, you have to give him the two wide receivers. You have to give him protection. You have to give him play actions and rollouts and things like that. And then he can do a little bit of extra with his legs and his ability to improvise, which Kirk Cousins cannot do. And I guess the question that we're always going to be asking ourselves about Keenum is, had he come back what would have happened last year? Like, would they have been in the playoffs? Would they have been able to overcome some of the things that they didn't? And and I think if Pat Shermer is the OC, they're in the playoffs. I think if Kevin Stefanski is the OC and just continues to roll with Shermer, Kevin has told us before in the media and me personally that Shermer is basically his hero. I mean, he just loved <laughs> Pat Shermer. Like, they got along so well. He took so much away from Shermer. He tries to emulate Shermer in his play calling. And, and I think that even if Cousins was just with Stefanski last year running the Shermer-style offense, they're better. And I think Keenum would have continued to succeed. I don't think you can look at Denver and Washington and say, no, that's who Case Keenum really can be. Well, no. Those two teams both fired their coaches. Right. And I say Pat Shermer because Pat and Casey had a really special thing going on. And you could tell. Like, you could see it on the sideline and the way they talk. And you could tell, too, by the way that guys talk to Casey on the sideline, the way that guys would come up and, like, interact with them, you know? And that's why I say, you know, you can't just let one go and the other one stays and everything's fine. Like, yeah, maybe it does work out with Stefanski, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe they don't have the thing that gels together. Maybe they don't laugh on third down when it's a timeout and they're in the huddle together. And they're, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's the sure. thing that makes a coach and a player so special. And sometimes I've been like, hey, you know, I think Shermer leaving was kind of a bad decision. People are like, dude, you're an idiot. That guy got to be a head coach. Yeah, do you think he's really over there in New York right now? Like, right. Man, how's that working out for you? This is great. It's not great. There are better scenarios that he could have landed. There are way better jobs he could have had than the New York job. I'm sorry, but to be the guy to have to get rid of Eli Manning, like that will forever go down in history. Like, who is the guy that benched Eli? Oh, uh, right. the Ben McAdoo dude and then the Pat Shermer. Like, your name will be synonymous for bad things forever. But I think that when you're saying Casey, Pat Shermer, add a couple pieces, let these guys marinate in that offense for a year and off season, and then all of a sudden you come back and it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? We are hitting our stride. Because you've had more time together. You've had another year together. It's not a new coach, a new face, a new philosophy, mm-hmm. because you can emulate somebody as much as you want, but you're not going to do what they do on certain plays, and that's what makes them so great. Now, the question would be, would they have been able to add enough extra talent around Keenum to sustain his level of play? I tend to think that based on what they've done this year for Kirk, bringing in Irv Smith, and uh, they could have done it in free agency if they had had that extra 10 or whatever million dollars to improve the offensive line last year. You're probably getting... A li- like not quite thirteen and three, but a little bit better than eight seven and one. Probably in the first round of the playoffs. Hard to see them going much farther. And if it was now, and you draft these players, I think the results are fairly similar. Even though I do think that Cousins is a lot more talented as an overall thrower of the ball. Um, but uh, both of these quarterbacks have something similar, and that's that 
their circumstances around them have a great deal to do with how successful they are. So Cousins, even though he's a fourth-round draft pick, fell into a great situation. He's got Sean McVay there. He's got Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, Jordan Reed in his prime, Trent Williams, as you mentioned. I mean, great offensive line. Brandon Schreff was a a top pick. I think fourth overall guard, which says a lot if you're a fourth overall guard. Uh, So... You know, Keenum has not had that. He's in Houston where someone else is benched. He's in St. Louis and Los Angeles where, you know, they're under, under Jeff Fisher and falling Garbage apart. Fire. And that, yeah, right. that was terrible. So, oh. so the, we've seen, we've seen the both sides of the spectrum with Keenum. We've never really seen the bad side with Cousins because he's always had pretty good circumstances. And that would lead me to believe that you could get closer to the maximum Keenum. But I'm not sure either one you would say, oh, we could definitely win a Super Bowl with this guy. I think what's attractive, though, about Keenum is what you mentioned, where the, the personalities of these two quarterbacks are just very different, where... Cousins seems like if this was an office environment, he would be the executive guy that you'd sort of have to go to his office and be like, yeah, well, let me explain what happened, sir. And with Keenum, he's the guy with more of the, the hard hat or he's a, the, the working yeah. class type of guy. And there there might be a difference there in some situations when things got a little hairy. It's I agree. It's like the boss versus the leader, like the one, the picture, the guys above the other people, like with the hand pointing down, like do this, and the other guys with them pulling. And I agree. I think that when you're talking to guys, you're like, when you talk to anyone that's ever played with Casey Keenum, they're like, dude, that guy's awesome. They're one of the greatest guys, one of the funniest guys to be around. Just went with the flow. And when you're a football team and you're you see people taking shots at a guy like that, you start to get naturally defensive, right? Like you're kind of like, you know what? <clears throat> That's my dude, man. Don't be doing that. Well, then you see other teams kind of taking shots. You're like, you know what? All right, now it's on. Like something sparks that relationship that you're like, you know what, dude? This is our guy. We're gonna fight for him. You're right. When it's an executive role, it's kind of like, well, he kind of brought it upon himself, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's getting paid to take this criticism, right, guys? I mean, it's, he'll be fine. He's tough skinned. No, maybe. Okay. <laughs> not really. Not really. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> no. Uh, and that and that's where. Um, as we try to decide how this is all going to work out, um, there will be other games where we'll get a much better sense if anything is really different and if you can continue to to have the supporting cast um, raise him up to this level or if when the adversity comes again, if we're going to see another appearance like we did in Green Bay or Chicago. Let's uh, talk for a second when we come back about uh, Adrian Peterson. And I want to know what your feeling is about Adrian Peterson's legacy, because I think it's very complicated in Minnesota. We'll be yes. right back. Uh, Purple Daily here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll start off reminding you of a podcast we have that's available. It's been 10 years since we went on a, on a bit of a ride with Brett Favre, and we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Viking season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind, the 2009 Vikings edition on demand right now anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Or you can just go to scorenorth.com, click on shows. That's Minnesota Sports Rewind. And uh, Mike Zimmer took to the podium today for his Tuesday press conference, asked about Adam Thielen, and here's what he had to say about his chances of playing this week. Uh, We'll see more tomorrow. You know, he's improving fast, so uh, he's got a chance. Vikings fans, your thoughts? You want Thielen to play so shortly after injuring himself, or would you rather have him sit for two weeks before that Kansas City game? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, for the end of the show, we'll try to get Alex to bring some energy here. Uh, Alex Boone with me. <laughs> Dude. 
You sound just a little soft today. You sound like you're upset about something. What's wrong? I Matt? sound I sound soft? Really? A little bit. You were just bit. like, Case Keenan, man, I miss you. He's the greatest. I love him. <laughs> he is great. He really is. Uh, I wish he had said that Minnesota wasn't just a stop along the way like he did to the media. Because you're like, come on, bro. You went 13-3 and and went to the NFC Championship. You're lucky he said that. It wasn't just you're a so stop along the way. It, it is, though, because to him, he feels disrespected. Yeah. What did you feel disrespected? Like, dude, I just took this 13-3 and and I get, I get booted out the door? Yep. What? Yep. And and I, I said this earlier to Jonathan. I was like, no quarterback's going to go... Yes, I will regress. <laughs> I mean, like, right, right? That's what they yeah. thought. You guys are right to think that I won't be this good again. So I, I totally understand uh, his bitterness, and it's probably fair. And, and Teddy Bridgewater probably has some, too. And you can't come out and say it, especially when you're coming in Why with not, a team though? with with one win. I think it's partly because it would be a distraction, and he's just not the type of guy to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, when I covered him, he wouldn't answer anything. Like, you'd say, hey, Mike Zimmer just uh, crapped on you again for, like, the seventh straight week and said you're not actually good. What do you think of that? And, you know, I'm sure behind closed doors to his wife, you're saying, what the bleep is this coach's problem? Like, I just I just threw for four touchdowns, and he's stressing over the one interception or something. But, um, you know, that's, that's another story, I guess. Uh, now, Alex, Adrian Peterson, how Aware are you, I guess, of how Minnesotans feel about Adrian Peterson? So I, I just correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are a little iffy about him, right? As of like recently, like before it was all like great, and then all of a sudden, just all this stuff in the news, and not only that, but leaving and stuff like that. Is that what makes everybody like kind of upset? So I think that there's only two camps on Adrian Peterson. There's the camp that would defend him to the death, no matter what. I still get emails from these people who are like, "Oh, Peterson at 80 yards, moron!" I'm like, oh, "Okay, man." <laughs> I said two years ago they should move on and get Delvin Cook, but like whatever. <laughs> Uh, right. So there's those people who will just defend him no matter what. But I think the vast majority is like, look, he was a great player. It was super fun. We didn't really win anything when we had him. And he was a limited player in that he did not know how to block anyone and wouldn't try. He could not catch passes out of the backfield. He kind of had a self-centered mindset, and, and that might be being nice about it. And then you add on top of that, the stuff off the field, which for some people I think is understandably really hard to get over when you're talking about uh, abusing a child with a stick. Like some people can't get that image out of their mind when it comes to Peterson and, and just focus on what he did on the field. And I don't blame right. anybody for that. So I, th- I think there's an appreciation of his excellence. Everyone knows he's going to be a Hall of Famer. The times were fun. The runs were fun. But when you have that combination of you didn't really win anything with also what that bleep are you doing off the field, um, I think it's really hard for people to have the same viewpoint on him as some other former Viking stars. I agree. And I'm going to say something, and I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for it, but I won't hear about it because I don't have a Twitter. Thank God you do. <laughs> but Adrian Peterson, to me, was the definition of why you shouldn't meet your heroes, ever. And, I, and I'm a firm believer of that because after I met Adrian, I was so disappointed. I had played with Frank Gore for so long, and I had known Frank and the way he was, and every single day he was going to show up at 5.30 and be there to get work done on his legs and work out. And Because he knew that if guys saw him there at 5.30 and they didn't see him leave till 9 at night, they would think that they had to be there. And he was so right. And I loved Frank for that because he made a team that was an average team so much better. Adrian was the opposite. 
Adrian was a very self-centered player, and it bothered me. And not only that, but to have your dad throw shade on us the year after yep. you leave. Like, dude, are you serious right now? I know that no one's ever talked about this, and I know it's never come up. But I'm going to tell you right now that that Colts game, he should be embarrassed for himself for how he played and how that game ended. I'm not kidding you. I've never been around an NFL player that I was so embarrassed for and ashamed of at the same time. Like I was like, dude, are you really being for real right now? Did he pull himself out of that game? He pulled himself out of the game. He ran the wrong way on power and fumbled the ball and blamed it on the O-line. I was like, dude, are we really going to have this conversation right now? Hmm. And then he was like, it's your fault. It's the O-line's fault. We lost. I was like, dude, you left in the first quarter. Like, what? Where were you? Like, this, we, we started a mount of comeback. You fumbled the ball. Like, seriously, this is how it's going to be. And then after that, it's just every time you talk to him, he was just so down. And if anyone remembers, we started that year like 5-0. and yep. And even he was like, dude, what is wrong with Adrian? Like, he is not acting like himself. Like, everybody was just so weird that year, and it was just not right. And, and, and I swear, meeting him has ruined me forever. Well, I feel a little bit of the same way because I showed up to cover the team, uh, much like you, arrived in 2016, and my first impressions of Adrian Peterson was, I mean, A, that the burst was not really there the same way it was when he was in his prime, but B, how much drama surrounded the man, no matter whether he was playing or not, and going into that game... He was a huge distraction. I mean, he was going on his XM show that he owned to talk about how he was coming back, which imagine Mike Zimmer, who never wants his players to ever talk about injuries in the media, having his running back go on his own XM show and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to play this week. And it, it was, it, it was a, it was a very bizarre situation throughout that, that it, he seemed to be finding ways to get, um, uh, to be the center of attention throughout that year without, contributing anything to the team. Agreed. And not only that, but being more of a distraction to the team, it was just the things he would do behind scenes that you were like, Adrian, that's so not needed right now. Like, that does not need to be said at all, especially by somebody who's not carrying any of the workload that the rest of us are carrying. Like, that's not fair to do. And as a leader, you're right. You can't block. All you can do is run. Like, dude, Frank Gore will forever go down as the greatest because he loved to block more than he loved to run. And this, I'm not even talking about like a Kyle Rudolph quote. Like I'm talking for real. This dude was like, dude, I will steal your soul if you try and hit this quarterback. I used to love watching him block. But that's why so many people speak so highly of him because he was not selfish. And he was like, hey, you know what? If the ball needs to get dished out to everybody else and I'm the last guy to get it, as long as we come home with a W, I don't care. And you could tell he meant it. You didn't get that with Adrian. And that's what always bothered me about him. Yeah, and I I think that uh, the same thing sort of goes for Delvin Cook and Latavius Murray, who followed him and made it very easy to move on from Adrian Peterson, too, and and say, well, okay, this guy was actually kind of easy to replace, and look at these two very unselfish players who could do lots of other things, and that was always the question, too. Like I had a crazy stat earlier that made me laugh out loud, that Peterson averaged more yards per rush than yards per reception in his 2,000 yards year. Like, how is that even possible? (laughs) And consistently one of the worst blockers in the NFL, and it's if you're going to be a great running back and truly bring value and help your team win, you can't just run the ball. And I think that people here who were huge Peterson fans are really seeing that. Yeah, and to me, when you're looking at like what separates a guy as like a Hall of Fame status as, as opposed to like an elite player, right? And you're like, it's the leadership around the young guys. What are they showing the young guys? Are they pushing good values? 
And to me, it, it just it wasn't there. And I was like, dude, what is... And you're right, off the field issues, too much, man. Too much for me. Great stuff, Alex Boone. Uh, if you missed any of that, make sure that you go download the uh, podcast. You can get that every day here, Purple Daily. And Thursday, it's going to be full on. Courtney Crone's going to be in for two hours, Alex. Can you handle that? Oh, my God. We're going to have so much. Hey, we're going to be on during the game. We're going to be on... Like, we're like pre-gaming We're pre-game. Game. That's what oh we are. Oh, my God. We're going to have so much fun. <laughs> All right. Alex Boone on every Tuesday and Thursday. You've been listening to Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.